2: Welcome back to the Over the Monster Podcast Network. I am your host for today's show, Jake Devereaux, and joining me for today's show uh, is Bob Osgood. What's going on, Bob?
0: How much, Jake? Thanks for uh, asking me aboard here for a little review and preview.
2: Yes. Uh, absolutely no better person to do this with Um, but you gave the show away Uh, that's exactly what we're going to be doing today Uh, I should have announced it from the top but this is a 2021 recap but really the bulk of the show is going to be a way too early look forward towards 2022 Um, because you know as soon as that season ended for the Red Sox with the game 6 loss in the ALCS uh, I immediately started thinking about next year uh, which is totally normal right? (laughs) <laughs> Same here,
0: I've been reading <laughs> things over the last week and there's a lot of key decisions and dominoes to fall as soon as the first week after the the World Series ends, so
2: yeah, get going. A lot, a lot to discuss, so uh, a little preview of what we're going to be talking about on today's show. We're going to do a quick recap of the 2021 season, uh, we're going to look towards 2022 by assessing the Red Sox current free agents players who are arbitration eligible, players with club options, mutual options, or player options, um, players who are already under contract or pre-arbitration. We're going to talk a little bit about some pre-arb guys who haven't even made their major league debuts but are on the 40-man roster, Um, and then we'll talk about a couple other big questions and project our rosters for the 2022 season, including some additions. So it should be a, a fun show. Uh, be a little bit of a longer one, but I think that, you know, if you're really into the minutia of the roster, this is definitely the show for you. Um, but let's get started uh, with the 2021 Red Sox team. Um, you know, this was a season where most people thought that the Red Sox were going to finish third or fourth in their own division. Uh, most people had the Yankees winning this division this year. Uh, Tampa Bay surprised a lot of people building that pitching staff on the fly after getting rid of so many guys, winning 100 games. Uh, but it didn't matter, because the team that uh, ended up being the last man standing out of the AL East was the Red Sox, who you know beat the Yankees in the wildcard game, uh, then surprised Tampa Bay in the Divisional Series before bowing out in six games uh, to the Astros. So my question uh, for you, obviously this season was a big success, 92 wins and an appearance in the ALCS, but... How on earth did they defy everyone's expectations? What do you think were some of the biggest factors why that happened?
0: Yeah, n- 92 and 70, uh, definitely not what I had. I was kind of in that 85, 86 um, range, and I really thought that the manager coming back was going to play a key role, and I think it did. I think it starts with Alex Cora and that the players uh, you know, buy in, what he's selling and he really just gets the most out of everybody and there are certain moves in the playoffs that I didn't love but uh, on the whole I think that last year they had a manager in the dugout that I wasn't sure was alive half of the games and (laughs) you me both (laughs) it was it was tough to watch and I didn't think that he got the most out of everyone and you just saw from Day one uh, with a different manager, and then as fans started coming back into the building, just a, a totally different vibe. Uh, you know, from April on, where in the first half they really needed every win that they got. I think they played uh, a little over their heads a little bit in the first half and had some comebacks and some just crazy wins that may have looked better than they actually were. And then there were times in August and September that were the opposite, right? There were some injuries, there was the COVID outbreak and, yeah. you know, to the point that didn't even know if it was going to be a playoff team. So there were so many ups and downs, but I think it starts with the manager. I think secondly, um, the pitching staff, Nate Evaldi was a, a certified ace. He was everything you can ask for in an ace. Might not be a Cy Young pitcher, but definitely a top eight to ten american league pitcher and even higher if you look at, at war right so yeah. you know starts with having an ace and then the other pitchers that gave them innings made the starts every five days for the majority of the season the nick pavettas the eddie rodriguez um you know Sale before the playoffs giving them quite a few good outings the last two months i think tanner Houck um was a revelation for a lot of the year and took everything in stride as he was uh, shuttled back and forth around uh... Massachusetts for a lot of the season, so I think that they just kind of having that stable pitching staff was a huge part. Um, Garrett Whitlock certainly came out of nowhere. I mean, we saw it in spring training; we knew we might have something special there, but he even exceeded what I was expecting. Um, I know I'm giving you about ten names, but just a (laughs) lot of players: Enrique Hernandez, uh, Matt Barnes being a stud closer for four months. There was a lot of players that just outperformed expectations, some of which were veteran players um, and some of which were were rookies and some surprises that, that showed up. So uh, you know a couple of shrewd moves around the deadline that we might not have loved at the time, but were helpful uh, to get them to the playoffs and won a couple of playoff games with those acquisitions as well.
2: Yeah, it really um, you know all those all those things are true and, and in particular, when I think of the first half of the season for the Red Sox, I think of the starting pitching, uh, over-performing, and then Matt Barnes being absolutely lights out, like you said. Uh, Hirokazu Sawamura, who had a rough second half, was brilliant in the first half as well. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> when I look at the season, it it, it is very different from, from half to half. I remember in the first half of the season, we were still talking about kind of, how um, bad the home record was for the Red Sox. And that was something that had gone back to uh, 2020. But I think you nailed it. I mean, when the fans started to come back in full force to Fenway, uh, home field advantage started to come back to the Red Sox. So I I didn't really realize that. I think it's a pretty cool thing. And I'm sure you think it's a pretty cool thing as somebody who, you know, has season tickets to the Red Sox, or at least, you know, part of season tickets to the Red Sox, just how much having a packed house affected this club this year
0: yeah and my next bullet point was actually crowd and you could it was just an awesome uh i think it was a combination of post-pandemic first big games first you know large events in the city um that there had been in quite some time seemed like a younger crowd uh yeah i was fortunate enough to go to a couple of playoff games and no one was sitting. Starting at the first inning of that Yankees wild card game, it was phenomenal. It was a totally different vibe, one that I couldn't remember in really any of the other seasons. I, you know, I didn't wasn't at the games back in 04 but I feel like it goes all the way back to then. And you know, as they had a quarter full and half full, and then once it got full, uh, and the playoff games was just a totally different vibe. And you could tell all of the post game uh, comments seemed. Genuine, You know, I think everybody mm-hmm. always thanks the crowd, but it seemed genuine that they were feeding off of that. I think the Tampa Bay team was certainly intimidated by it, and uh, Houston was not because they've <laughs> heard and seen everything at this point. Um, but I think it uh, a, lot of, a lot of close games that, that they pulled out, and I think that easily could have been a factor.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you talked about kind of the middle of the season too where things got a little bit dicey. Um, right around the trade deadline, right after the trade deadline, August was a pretty rough month in a lot of ways um, with the COVID epidemic that kind of went on through the clubhouse. And, you know, I remember the, the wind just feeling like it was taken out of the sails when, when uh, Xander Bogarts got pulled from that game, um, as he's sort of the heart and soul of this team. But then yeah. the traditional strengths of the Red Sox started to come back towards Uh, the end of August, early September, with the offense just really taking over again. And I think you know, the biggest reason why they advanced in the playoffs, in my opinion, was because the offense powered them. And it was actually really cool, too, to see some of those uh, under-the-radar pickups, Uh, the old friends coming back to the Red Sox and and making some contributions, Uh, Travis Shaw with a couple key home runs down the stretch, Uh, Jose Iglesias really nailing second base for a while, uh, while Arroyo was out. I think those are a couple underrated things that got them to where they are as well.
0: Yeah, good call uh, with with Iglesias. That was something that <laughs> I barely knew that he was on the team. I think I saw it a few minutes before his first game. I'm like, where did Iglesias come from, right? And he ended <laughs> up being, I don't think that they're in the playoffs without him. Or maybe they don't have the home game in the wildcard game. I mean, just he was such a steady force for weeks there. Um, where he had just multi-hit game after multi-hit game when so many players were out, uh, and really that's not the part of his game that you would have expected uh, him yeah. to to be excelling at. And it was amazing how he was. They added him to the uh, the taxi squad basically to have him in the dugout. And he was the first guy out there. Um, just a great clubhouse presence, even though he wasn't able to play in October.
2: Yeah, I agree. It was awesome to have him back. Um, so b- both he and Shaw worked out better than I thought they were going to. Um, yep. So closing closing thoughts on this season for me are, are just that, you know, this team arrived a little bit earlier than we thought. And I also think that we underestimated this team a little bit going into this year. Um, certainly the offense, you know, we, we got some huge contributions this year from Devers and Bogarts and J.D. Martinez, which are all names that, you know, you could have expected to get those contributions from, but uh, Alex Verdugo, who had a good season on the surface, but, you know, looked like he got a little bit better than he deserved in 2020, backed that up with a really strong 2021. Kevin Ploiecki was great again in a backup role. Hunter Renfro was an absolute revelation. Uh, And Kike Hernandez, you mentioned him at the jump of the show. I mean, he was just fantastic. So, The additions, uh, and we've talked about this a number of times, Bob, felt a little bit like 2013, where you kind of threw some darts with some high character guys and some guys with upside and, you know, saw if some of them can hit, could hit. And a lot of them did. And, you know, the nice thing is that a lot of these guys are going to be coming back next year, which we're going to be talking about. But a lot of the names that I just mentioned are, you know, either under contract or available to be under contract next year.
0: Absolutely. And I think that they did a good job, Bloom did a good job of signing players to one and two year deals where there were veteran players, um, you know, where maybe you hold an option where you would be able to move that contract if things didn't fall the right way. And fortunately, they did. Um, you know, yeah, you mentioned 2013, the Victorinos and Napolis and Johnny Gomes. And, and there were players like that um, that they brought in this year. The Kike Hernandez and, you know, Garrett Richards didn't quite work out, but just very similar, you know, Kyle Schwarber trade, similar one year type of darts that they threw. If it worked out great, if it didn't, you could probably move them at the deadline for a prospect and continue to plug away at the rebuild. Um, so it gave them some some flexibility to go either direction by having shorter duration contracts, uh, and most of them worked out.
2: Yeah, it really did. Um, so let's let's look ahead here to 2022. We're gonna get started off uh, by looking at the free agents. So um, we're gonna be looking at whether or not we would try and re-sign these free agents or not. Um, the free agents are as follows, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, Hansel Robles, Adam Ottavino. Jose Iglesias, Danny Santana, and Travis Shaw. Let's get started right off the top with Eduardo Rodriguez, who had a lot of really good games in the playoffs. Uh, He's a little bit enigmatic this year, um, not exactly performing as well as you would expect him to. The underlying metrics were still quite strong, though. Uh, The Red Sox can try and re-sign him. They can also just let him walk. But one of the other things they can do is offer him the qualifying offer, which is uh, a little over eighteen million dollars in tie draft pick compensation to him, so if you're the Red Sox, what do you try and do with with Eduardo so I'm
0: not going to offer him the qualifying offer of eighteen million. I don't think that he's an eighteen million dollar pitcher, even if just for one year, I think that there are um there's too many things that they kind of need to fit in uh financially this year with just some extra money on the books. Uh, it's a lot easier starting in 2023 in terms of guaranteed deals so i wouldn't pay him 18 million Um, i would lean towards letting him go because i think there are starting pitching options that can fill in both within the organization as well as free agency Um, i have enjoyed overall the eduardo rodriguez experience i think that he's been solid in the clubhouse i think that he has taken the ball every fifth day which is just such an important uh quality outside of obviously what was unfortunate in 2020 but he made 34 starts in 2019 he made 31 starts in 2021 even took the ball the final day of the season uh to get the win you know one final win in that game in in an essential game against washington right so he's done everything that they've asked him to do 19 and 6 and 13 and 8 seasons the record has been good the 4.74 ERA was misleading this year. There's a lot of different indicators that, you know, with high BABIP make you think that he should have been in the mid-threes. He pitched better than his stats would indicate. Highest K rate of his career, lowest walk rate of his career. So he did have a pretty decent season, but when you watch the game, you know, start after start, you always feel like there's a little something that's missing. You know, you see glimpses of it where he's great, for six innings and then it doesn't carry on to the next start whereas that's how you get 157 innings this year and 31 starts you know a lot of four and two-thirds appearances and I just feel as a left-hander going into free agency that he's going to get more significant money than I would want to bring him back at and I don't think that he's worth a qualifying offer.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And, you know, I, I wrote an article on why the Red Sox should not try and re-sign him uh, before the season, and and nothing this year changed my mind. I mean, we still, we saw a lot of glimpses of what type of talent he has, especially in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I'll never forget him coming out bumping uh, 96 from the left side, which is something we hadn't seen from him all year. But it's just, right. it's rare to get that from from Eduardo Rodriguez. And would it surprise me if he had like one of the best years of his careers in his mid 30s? Uh, No, but it would also not surprise me if he was basically out of the league by his mid 30s. So it's not somebody that I want to push in the chips for at this point. And I'm not sure that Eduardo Rodriguez is going to end up being better than you know, some of the internal options that we're going to be talking about later on. So, yeah, I agree with you. I would probably try and take the money that you would be giving to Eduardo Rodriguez and go put that into a a free agent or kind of spread it around a little bit more. Yep. All right, let's get to the uh, two relievers who are free agents, Hansel Robles and Adam Adovino. Would you try and re-sign either of those guys?
0: I've got a no for both of them. As well. Um, You know, I wouldn't rule out if there were close to a minimum contract that you could bring one of them back at, but neither, I didn't see enough out of either of them um, to think that they're an essential arm to bring back. I think that there will be a hundred relievers available that are of a similar skill set to them, whether it's a Robles or an Adevino or 20 other guys that we could talk about. Um, they'll probably bring in you know two to four million dollar uh, relief pitchers, two or three of those potentially, and neither of those names really moved the needle for me from what I saw this year. Although I appreciated some of the the good stretches that that both of those pitchers went on.
2: I could not have said it better myself. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you on <laughs> on all those instances, and I just I feel like if Bloom is going to spend money on the bullpen. Um he's gonna spend it on guys who are much more of a sure thing uh, than either the either of those two and both those guys have already made a decent amount of money in the league. so yeah, I, I think they can do better with cheaper cheaper guys there so we're we're on the same page with that. um the next guy I find really, really interesting and it's a guy we mentioned at the top of the show, Jose Iglesias, middle infielder. Um, if the Red Sox did bring him back, it would probably be for uh, small money, because uh, he's he's certainly not the type of player that's going to command any sort of a contract. I mean, hell, they got him uh, for nothing uh, this year. But uh, he was tremendous in the clubhouse, as you mentioned. He hit pretty well. And man, when he started to get a hang of second base, he looked damn good there. So for me, I'm actually leaning towards bringing him back, and I think that the team will bring him back instead of having somebody on the bench like Jonathan Arauzi.
0: Yeah, and it wouldn't be an outrage by any means. I'm leaning no with Iglesias. Uh, I think, you know, I feel like they have to uh, find some way, (laughs) you know, to give him credit for what he did, but I don't want to give a contract for past performance either, and I feel like maybe second base is the spot for him. I just don't know that, personally, an Arroyo, Iglesias, I mean, they hit from both the same side of the plate I don't know if that combination is what I would want starting at second base next year now if they go and spend money on a starter um and another bat and bring in a couple of relievers and that ends up being the one spot that they don't spend I don't think it would be egregious but um you know second base there's a couple of names that I have in mind that I'd like to actually see them go out and spend some significant money on in their big splash in this offseason uh, so that just doesn't line up with bringing Iglesias back, unless you know Arroyo was gone and you needed to have a, a backup at that position. Um, so I, you know, 356 average while he was here, and um, you know hit 373 in the short season for Baltimore last year. So I probably should give him more credit than I am, but um, I think he's on the decline, uh, and and not the shorthanded um, middle infielder quite that he was early on in his career
2: yeah it's kind of funny how his career has gone he's now like a bat first guy that's uh, it's super weird right and shorthand sure <laughs>
0: is probably the wrong word but i don't think that he's a, an excellent defensive player he still makes the uh the flashy play and, and the easy play but i don't know that he quite has the range that he did before
2: well you know we'll, we'll leave that teaser there for the people uh you're looking for a little bit of a bigger splash at second base, so. You know, stay tuned towards the end of the podcast to hear what Bob's thinking. It is is a big bang, though. Uh, Let's get to our next guy, Danny Santana. Um, I'm not even going to waste any time on this. Uh, We are both a resounding hell no, as you wrote in the show notes on Danny Santana. (laughs) I'm sure, like, Cora's going to go to the wall for him as a guy who got uh, three years (laughs) in, in game six of of uh, the ALCS for some reason Danny Santana got a plate appearance um, which just blew my mind but uh, yeah I I don't understand Cora's obsession with this guy. Well, seeing
0: him lead off in the sixth inning of the elimination game is, is going to be my lasting memory of Danny Santana and not a good <laughs> one so I'm with you there.
2: Yeah, Yeah, pretty bad. Uh, Travis Shaw, the mayor of Ding Dong City here, uh, corner infielder, can play a little little, uh, little first, little, little second, little third if you really needed him to. Uh, what are your thoughts on Shaw?
0: Yeah, I, I think that he will get a, a very small, minor deal. Um, it's similar in that if he's the last uh infielder that you have as a backup that can play multiple positions. You know, they're they're actually a a pretty limited free agent class at first base, so he might get a little bit of a contract. But, you know, he had a couple big hits, but, you know, was hitting in the 100s and was released uh, prior to that. So he was kind of already on the scrap heap this year, and I don't know that he'll get much more than, like, a a small guaranteed contract or a minor league contract going into next year. I don't know how much he has left uh, in the tank.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's a whole lot. Um, but, you know, I think he's the type of guy that could very well still be out there uh, for you, uh, you know, to put on speed dial in case somebody gets hurt during spring training and you need to bring him in. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that's a priority at this point. So we're pretty much on the same page. The only thing that we differ on is uh, whether or not to bring back Jose Iglesias. Um, so that wraps up the free agents. Now we're going to move on to players who are arbitration eligible. And the question for this group is, are there any of the guys here that you would either not tender a contract to or try and extend this offseason? So the players who fit into that category are Rafael Devers, Hunter Renfro, Alex Verdugo, Nick Pavetta, Kevin Plawecki, Ryan Brazier, Josh Taylor, and Christian Arroyo. Let's start off the top here. Are there any of these guys who you would non-tender? Um, no
0: no I don't see anybody in there that I would non-tender what about you
2: the you know I was thinking about it Um, Ryan Brazier I think if I remember correctly from looking at his ARB estimate was uh, set to make somewhere around uh, 2 million dollars next year and I don't believe he's quite as good as what he showed um, so okay. it wouldn't uh, absolutely shock me if they non-tendered him, but I think that he did uh, quite enough to to probably warrant that. So, actually, you know what? His ARB uh, estimate is 1.4 million bucks. So, so not as much. So, I ended up going on the side that, yes, they will tender him a contract. Um, but, I guess I'm not as big a Brazier guy as as a lot of people are. Yeah,
0: I mean, he, he is... 33 years old, which I didn't yeah. realize. So he could be on the downswing in his career. You know, he, He's not had that much experience in the league to, for a 33-year-old, but I could see that. I wouldn't rule that out. Um, I think he's had some playoff experience and it was a nice story this year, coming back from multiple injuries including getting hit in the head with a line drive, which was brutal. So it was good to see him come back and really they trusted him in that last week of the season. I think they pitched him four days in a row and throwing a lot of pitches and I wonder if that caught up to him a little bit in the playoffs but you know I think he's an okay back of the of the bullpen guy.
2: Yeah, I do too. And and ultimately we've seen this with Heim Bloom. He really likes to preserve as many of those bullpen guys as possible, so I think you know given the choice of of getting a guy back like Ryan Brazier for 1.4 or dipping into the minor leagues for a guy like Eduardo Bizardo or something like that, I think he'd rather keep Bizardo down at AAA and maintain that depth um then then kind of tap into that right away to save a little bit of money so yeah i ultimately ended up on on the side of they will tender all of these guys contracts um the second question though is whether or not any of these guys are an extension priority for you this offseason any of these guys fit that category
0: i think priority one of the entire offseason should be ex- to extend Raphael Devers who has two years left before free agency um I it, you know the, Xander Bogarts is a whole other story right he's been extended once and has an opt out a year from now um you know I've got Devers as priority one and Bogarts as as priority two and I think the odds of an extension um, with Devers are a little bit better just with uh, Scott Boris being involved uh, for Xander Bogart so I you know I think kind of after uh, the player that we're gonna talk about next in terms of whether he will opt in or out is kind of the first uh, chip to fall but then after that I think you really have to focus on a, a Devers and then subsequently a Bogart's extension um, you know with two years a Devers entering his only entering his age 25 season so a, a large extension doesn't look as bad with a 25 year old rather than uh, someone who's hitting free agency for the first time at 28 or 29 years old i don't think that i don't know that his body is going to age great as a third baseman into his 30s but i think that he can probably play there until 28 29 years old so um you know whether it's a, a three-year extension so that he would have five total uh, maybe get a little bit of bump uh price-wise for the arbitration in the first two years and then significant money in the three years after that, um, I'd really do anything that it takes to to make sure that Devers is hitting in the middle of that lineup for at least five years.
2: Yeah I totally agree with you um, but I, I think I would approach it if I was Bloom in, in the opposite direction. I would actually uh, try and get Bogarts figured out first uh, and then focus on Devers because you have a little bit more time with Devers uh, with the two years left He's already due for a big arb raise. He's going to make like a million, eleven million bucks uh, this upcoming year in all likelihood. But also, I think you have a better opportunity to sign Rafael Devers if he knows his best friend and role model in the whole wide world, Xander Bogarts, is going to be on that team for you know the rest of his career. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, no, I mean that's that's a good point that I hadn't thought about. I'm I'm just looking at it, you know, on
2: paper, and uh, yeah, it's important to bring in uh, those facts as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, those two are literally never apart. Uh, they play catch with each other right. before the game. Uh, they hang out in the clubhouse. They are always with each other on the bench. So it's clear that that's a pretty special well, they relationship. Should go get the same agent then. <laughs> that's a, yeah. We should uh, we should suggest that. Um, before we end our discussion of these are yeah. eligible guys, I want to talk really briefly about Christian Arroyo. Um, you know, we already brought up Jose Iglesias, but is Arroyo good enough to start at second base all year if they don't decide to make that big splash? Yeah, so I don't
0: think that he is. I think he's a, a very good bench bat. Uh, like having him on the team, he's never had more than 180 plate appearances in a season he's entering his 27 year old year now um you know career high six homers 25 rbis um you know career strikeout rate of about 25 so I, I i think that he is a clutch player i think that there are spots where he can get hot and um you know could potentially at for me at most be a platoon bat if you can have a left-handed hitter at second base to to platoon with him that would be okay. I don't have a left-handed second baseman name off the top of my head, but I I don't see him and and he's he's been injury prone a little bit yeah. as well. Um so I just don't see that I could say all right, you know, 140 games pen, pencil Christian Arroyo in personally.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Um it's it's really just the injury concerns for me. I think he can play the position really well and I think the bat is probably good enough uh you know, if if you if you are okay with not getting a ton of offense from that position, I think he's an okay bat, someone who's going to contribute. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you have to pair him with someone else because the injury history just speaks for itself, and the fact that he's racked up such an injury history before turning 27 is kind of, you know, eye-opening in its own right. So, yeah, I agree. I'm okay with uh, cheaping out on second base a little bit and going with Arroyo and Iglesias for the year. Um, but, you know, I... I uh, I think your path is a little bit more interesting at second base, so we'll see if uh, some of that yeah. that big league money gets flexed.
0: But I think that some of that Fenway Sports a good point. money.
2: <laughs> I
0: think you raise a good point with the defense, though, because he he did have, he was one of the few that kind of ranked out positively uh, in those you know outs above average and different defensive metrics that you've seen. Um, there weren't too many of them that did rank out positively, and Arroyo was one of them. So I I think it's important to to mention that that he plays or has played an above average second base. Whereas, you know, you read different things that some of the range uh, elsewhere in the infield might not be ideal. And it's hard to look at and say, all right, there isn't some flashy, super defensive second baseman out on the market. Or, uh, you know, I don't know that they're going to move Bogarts off of shortstop. That's a whole other conversation. But I do think that defense will be a focus of theirs. And whether that's in a trade or just something kind of outside the box that we haven't thought about yet. Um, I wonder where they'll find a, a spot to do that because they did not rank out well. I mean, they're around 30th in countless metrics, and uh, you know, batting average on balls in play was just putrid. Uh, you know, we talked about it with Erod. I think it was around 350, 360 when he was pitching. So yeah, uh, they do have to find a way to to make that infield defense a little bit better.
2: Yeah, it'd be interesting in a in a world where uh, people are playing Travis Shaw at second base and Max Muncy at second base to see the Red Sox go with a throwback, focus on defense, uh, move at that position. So it'll, it'll be interesting. But yep. they're kind of handcuffed, like you said. I mean, if, if you want Bogart's endeavors to be part of this core, and I think we both do and most Red Sox fans do, you're going to have to figure it out because that's a pretty leaky left side of the infield. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right, so let's get to the guys with options here. So these guys either have player options, club options, or mutual options. Um, So we're going to talk about what we think is going to happen with these particular guys. The first guy, the biggest domino uh, that has to make a decision is J.D. Martinez, who uh, this is the last year of his contract. If he wants it, he's got a player option, $22 uh, $22 million uh, per year average annual value. He's going to make a little bit more Uh, the 19 million real money Uh, so does he decide to opt in?
0: I mean the answer is I have no idea but I'm going to lean towards him opting in Um, I think that the only kind of caveat with that is that he could still be traded and I'm sure that he knows that and the You know, all right, I'm going to opt in for one year. I end up getting traded to a team that, a place that I don't want to play. I have no say in that. Whereas I do have a say in if I opt out and I go sign a, even a two year deal at 30, 32 million, right? That essentially pays him that 19 and then 13 the following year in a place that he wants to play. Um, That's the only thing. And I honestly, I'm kind of. Uh, going ahead a little bit but I think that if Kyle Schwarber comes back and is re-signed here it's I'm not ruling out that the two of them could be in the lineup together they were this year but I think that they might be more apt to trade the 35 year old Martinez and go with the 28 year old Schwarber as both kind of slugger outfield DH types with Schwarber mixing in some first base so um, that's I I wonder if they might go that route uh, if he does opt in
2: Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation to have. And, you know, I don't think it's as cut and dry as a lot of people think. I think a lot of people look at this situation and they see the money that is going to be owed to J.D. Martinez. And they're like, oh, man, he's not going to get that per year on the open market. Plus, with the uncertainty in the labor negotiations that are going on this winter, you know, just kind of take the safe money and and see where things are. But I think that J.D. Martinez uh, really has to pretty heavily believe in himself uh, if he is going to opt into this last year year of the deal because, you know, if he goes out there and he looks like second half of the year, J.D. Martinez, who was certainly a far cry from first half of the year, J.D. Martinez, um, he might not get much at all for his next deal. So coming right. off of what is a very strong statistical season for J.D. Martinez and a huge bounce back you know, I'd I'd like to think that he could probably get a multi-year deal close-ish to the money that he's getting right now. So if I was J.D. Martinez, I I might have that in the back of my mind, like maybe I can go pick up a a solid three-year deal uh, somewhere else. Um, But if I slip next year, I might be completely out of a job or signing for close to nothing. So, you know, I I agree. I, I don't think it's completely certain one way or the other, but I do think that it is going to be really hard to bring back both JD Martinez and Kyle Schwarber uh, and and have them both here. I think that Cora was able to kind of make it work, but it was was not the most natural of fits um, because both these guys have limitations. Kyle Schwarber, though, uh, does have that mutual option, which is certain to be declined. It's $11 million per year. Uh, Schwarber, at his age, uh, 29 years old, is certainly going to opt out and probably get paid a pretty handsome sum on the open market.
0: And I I think that there were, I mean, when Dahlbeck was red hot, uh, there were days that Schwarber sat. And if you're going to be putting significant money towards a Schwarber contract, if that did happen, you want him in the lineup every day. And there were just kind of like one too many outfield, DH, first base types, um, you know, I mean, never mind when you have to play in a national league park and you have to sit two of those guys. Um, so yeah, I mean, Martinez, it's it's probably not fair to, to split it up because he was so great hitting 351 with nine homers in April, but after the all-star break, that was down to 268. He had 10 homers, 37 RBIs after the all-star break in 64 games, which is good. But like you said, if he's that for an entire season, you don't know at 36 years old what he's going to get on the open market. So it would not surprise me either way. I'm you know fence riding here, um, but I have the 52% leaning towards him opting in.
2: <laughs> I think that's a that's a pretty fair estimate. Um, with, with Schwarber though, if I had my choice of these two guys, I'd obviously prefer to pay Schwarber the money and, and have his bat in the lineup and one of the reasons why, too, is, I mean, J.D. has been great for the Red Sox. It's, it's been a contract that's worked out pretty well, uh, really well, actually. But the the one nitpick that I have with J.D. Martinez's game is as a DH. His at-bats are very quick. He doesn't see that many pitches. You know, you, he's he's either going to go up there and rip a double or a home run, or that at-bat is usually ending in and out. Um, he's, he's a pretty quick at-bat, which is, you know, something that – I think works and it's fine during the regular season, but uh, I really like Kyle Schwarber's approach of taking so many pitches and working walks and kind of just wearing down pitchers a little bit more than, than J.D.'s approach at this point.
0: Yeah, and the seven-year uh, difference in age is uh, you know very significant. It's easy to forget that Schwarber is 28 years old.
2: Yeah, Definitely. All right. Let's get to a couple easy ones here. Uh, Garrett Richards and Martín Pérez both have club options: uh, ten million for Garrett Richards, six million uh, for Martín Pérez. Uh, any reason for the team not to decline those two options? No, I cannot think of a single reason. What about you? Uh, are you Are you volunteering to drive them to the airport? <laughs> to get them I out have here? no.
0: Uh... Uh, personal issues with either of these players. Um, you know, if you'd asked me this uh, with Ky- Kyrie Irving two years ago as a Celtics fan, I might have told you differently. And um, you know, appreciate their efforts. Um, but no, I uh, I am I have no ill will towards either player. And uh, Perez was tough to watch down the stretch. I think Richards, while complaining a little too much, um, made the most of his move to the bullpen, and um, you know, asked. Everything they asked him to do, he did, and had some some decent stretches to the point that I even trusted the guy uh, late in the season. Uh, and then, unfortunately, had an injury in the playoffs. But um, no, I I hold no ill will towards either player.
2: Yeah, I mean Garrett Richards uh, in in the starting rotation was just not even close to what I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be really good. Uh, that was super disappointing. Him out of the pen was solid, but not $10 million solid. And, and Martin Perez, a uh, hell of a guy. A, a guy that I wish was better um, because I really like his personality. And, you know, I like him on Twitter and I like how he interacts with the fans. But, you know, $6 million is too much for a guy who doesn't have a guaranteed rotation spot. And really, with the way he pitched, should not. So we are on board uh, with those guys. I would love to get a beer with Martin Perez. Would not want to get a beer with Garrett Richards. <laughs> I think that's well said <laughs> uh, let's move on to uh, the last one here and, and, and this is going to be one of the well, it just almost dropped my mouse here uh, going to be one of the most uh, interesting uh, stories of the offseason Christian Vasquez uh, the Red Sox hold a club option of 7 million dollars for Vasquez uh, should the Red Sox pay this much for a guy who had a down offensive year
1: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: So, it's it, I mean, this is definitely a tough decision. I would exercise the option for a couple of reasons. I think that, you know, it's more likely than not that you won't get $7 million worth of value out of Vasquez. But I think that the alternatives, if you let him walk, um, there are limited catching options in free agency. Uh, I think it's too early. To turn to a, a Connor Wong and Ploecki combination, I think Vasquez knows the staff so well, and there's not going to be a whole lot of turnover. You might have one new starting pitcher coming in next year, and even if if Aldi's pitching with Ploecki, you know uh, Vasquez would have um, hopefully a rapport with the other three. Um, you know, I I think that it's just it's only a one year commitment. Seven million isn't just a number that totally jumps off the page that you know it's not a no way i wouldn't be shocked but i would lean towards picking it back up even though when you look at the the hitting stats the last couple of years there's no way that you could justify that but i just i i think that you could put yourself into a situation where it's a real black hole you don't want to have like a martin maldonado type of offensive catcher um there i think vasquez can at least hold his own and hit what's he's a 259 career hitter i think he can do that
2: And he's a contact guy, too. I mean, we saw him get some pretty big hits in the playoffs here. Um, You know, you you hit the nail on the head with his knowledge of this pitching staff and the fact that that's just a really seamless fit. And I know what Cora thinks of his defense and how how much he means to the clubhouse. And, hell, I mean, Baseball America uh, polled a bunch of execs and uh, they had him as the top defensive catcher. Uh, in the league and, and well, I don't agree with that. I think he's a very good defensive catcher. He calls a good game. Um, I think it's too much money for him and what I would like the team to do is negotiate some sort of extension with him for like three or four years at slightly lower AAV. Uh, then seven million dollars that would be optimal for me and I think he might be willing to do something like that. Um, so that would be my first approach but if he balks at that idea and wants to become a free agent, uh, instead I would just exercise the seven million bucks because because like you I, I just don't think that the juice is quite worth the squeeze to kind of maybe maybe you save three million on the guy who you bring in um, but then that guy has to learn the intricacies of this staff and and all that other stuff. So yeah I, I think uh, ultimately Vasquez is back with the team either on this option or or on an extension,
0: yeah. And the names that you look at, I mean, Vasquez is is thirty one years old. You've got, Jan Gomes at thirty four, Tucker Barnhart thirty one. Uh, you know, Mike Zanino is a big bat, but with a ton of strikeout. Stephen Vogt, Roberto Perez, Jeff Mathis. These guys are all in their mid to late thirties, and Vasquez is actually younger than just about anyone that's going to be a free agent catcher. So, um, yeah, I I agree with you there. I I don't know. About going with an extension, but I, I get what you're saying. That if you threw like three years, fifteen million at him, right, that'd yeah. be an extra two for eight. That that gives him a little bit of security, and if it's a you know a team that he, a place that he wants to stay, I, I wouldn't rule
2: that out. Yeah, and especially with how thin the system is at that position, there's no one really that's a very obvious starting catcher coming up. So, you know, it, sure. it, it might be a wise idea as well. All right, let's move on here to players who are already signed uh, or pre-arbitration players. Any of these guys you see as extension candidates or trade candidates. Uh, we're going to run down the list here, and then we'll we'll get into them. Uh, Xander Bogarts, Chris Sale, Nathan Eovaldi, Matt Barnes, Kike Hernandez, Hirokazu Sawamura, Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Houck, Bobby Dahlbeck, Connor Wong, Jaron Duran, Darwinson Hernandez, Austin Big Fudge Davis, uh, Jonathan Ariuz, Phillips Valdez, Connor Seabold, and Edward Bazzardo. All right, so we talked about Xander Bogarts as a uh, extension candidate or as a uh, you know a guy who you need to give a contract to. Um, you've already expressed that you know you you try and get Devers done before Bogarts, but are you trying to bring back both of these guys? Kind of no matter what, like how hard are you going to the well? for xander for bogarts
0: yeah that's that's a really good question uh especially not knowing what the alternatives are and not knowing what type of free agents they might be pursuing what types of trades they might be pursuing is there a defense first shortstop that is on their radar and would they i mean bogarts is going to want Get paid like a shortstop, right? So to yeah. kind of take a step back, he's going to make twenty million and has the opt out. And then there was an extension that went through twenty twenty six for additional years, right? That we're all at twenty million. Right. I get the feeling that he is going to want more than that and take that one more chance at free agency at the age of thirty and get paid like a shortstop. I don't know that they're going to do that. I don't know if they're going to give, you know, a guaranteed six years at 25 26 million every year i i don't know i just think it's going to be difficult and that was the reason maybe it shouldn't be the number one priority but i just think it is more likely to get a devers extension done um than with bogarts just because of the agent and just because of the age uh, with devers in his mid-20s and that bogarts would be 30 when a, an extension starts so i definitely think that they should engage on that um you know they already have four additional years beyond next year so it would have to be years added and salary added so instead of four at 80 beyond next year it would have to be something like six at 130 or 140 i'm just throwing numbers out there i don't know
2: what he, do you think that's reasonable he's going to want
0: more of both if he opts out
2: right yeah i kind of think he's going to want to make like 28 million bucks a year uh over, you know, uh, over the 20. So an, an additional $8 million per, I think, is something in the range. I do think he'll give the team a little bit of a break. I don't think he's going to go out there and hold them over a barrel, but I think he does want to get paid. Uh, it's clear that he wants to be here, though. He's mentioned that a number of times. Um, for me, this is more important than a baseball decision. I think if you look at it just, you know, on paper, you're absolutely right. Devers is the guy you should focus on. He's younger uh, he, he's not as bad defensively uh, in terms of how he grades out with his range and stuff like that. Um, the bat is arguably uh, more impactful. Um, but Sandra Bogarts, uh, just the direction that he gives the team, the fact that he's the leader of the clubhouse and all these other things, he just strikes me as somebody who is destined to be a lifelong member of the Boston Red Sox and eventually have his number two retired here. Um, So I I think that it has to be priority one to make sure that this guy doesn't get away. And I think that, you know, part of their decision probably um, going into trading Mookie Betts when they did is because they decided that, you know, it's probably not going to be super possible to keep all of these guys and pay them all what they want and, I think part of that was yep. was deciding to go with Bogarts uh, as that guy. So, I hope that they will uh, come to come to a deal. It would be heartbreaking uh, for me if if I had to see Xander Bogarts play in a different uniform in a way that uh, Mookie was not. It would it would be way worse for me. Yeah, and you have to remember. I mean, he has been part of the organization
0: since two thousand and nine as a sixteen year old, and yeah. Um, Yeah, everything that he knows and, you know, they have believed in him, brought him up at a very young age, you know, getting significant at bats in the World Series at, I think, 20 years old. So, yeah, but it just for me, I come back to whether you say hometown discount or might give them a break. It's just rare that Scott Boris allows his clients to do that. And that's the part that's toughest for me. So I hope that, uh, you know, they can come to something and get a little bit of a break. I just don't, I don't know. I wouldn't th- throw whatever he wants at him. I'm hoping they can find something in between, maybe two extra years, maybe a slight bump in salary. I, if you're throwing 27, 28 million over. Six years for a 30 year old that I don't know can play shortstop more than a couple more years, then you have to throw something in front of me for me to say, you know, how far that would go, but it's also not my money. So, yeah, <laughs> I certainly hope it happens.
2: I think it's important too, to remember that Scott Boris ultimately works for Xander Bogarts, too. And uh, I think yep. Boris probably advised him that the deal that he took was probably not as much as he could get. And I think that Xander kind of told Boris to go get it done. So, you know, I wouldn't rule that out. Xander is a very different type of guy. He's very understated. He's very professional in in a lot of different ways. So, you know, I, I think there is something to the fact that wearing that one jersey uh, matters a lot to him. Yep. Nope. All great points. Um. All right. So let's continue down this list. Uh, you know, I didn't put this note on here, but... <laughs> It's kind of funny. Nathan Eovaldi at this point uh, in his career, $17 million per was his contract. He's got one year left on it. You mentioned the fact that he was a bona fide ace. Do they try and get something done with Eovaldi in terms of an extension or explore that? Well,
0: you have to tell me whether they're going out and signing a significant starting pitcher. And the name that I have in mind is Max Scherzer. Um, not too—that's <laughs> significant. Yeah, that's a significant name. Um, I've had Scherzer on, on in my brain for a year and a half since I saw that his free agency was coming up. So let's say that doesn't happen. I could totally see that. I mean, he went from seemingly overpaid. It seemed like they gave him four years, sixty-eight million, to say sorry about you know uh, throwing you. 7 innings in an 18 inning game on no days rest and you know if you need a third Tommy John we're sorry here's a significant <laughs> con- contract for your efforts. Yeah. But then this year 17 million you absolutely pay that for what he did for um you know not not quite a Cy Young pitcher but a step down from that that's worth 17 million and he'll be what he'll be 33 after next year entering that so that's really interesting not a name that that I had thought about um but it's can make a case for
2: it absolutely yeah wouldn't shock me at all if they explored that um let's talk about Garrett Whitlock and Tanner Houck so these are both two guys internally who uh the Red Sox have talked about moving to the starting rotation with Tanner Houck I mean that's how he came up Garrett Whitlock also came up as a starter, but they used him as a reliever this year as he was in his first year back recovering from Tommy John. Uh, Do you think these guys should either stay in the pen or both be in the rotation or kind of one one each? I mean, what do you think should happen with these two next year?
0: I want to see both in the rotation because I really like both pitchers. Um, I think that there's a little too much risk entering the season if you just go with what you already have. If you go with Ivaldi, Sale, and Pavetta as your three, and then Whitlock and uh and Hauk as your four five with Seabold as protection for that. I don't think that you have enough um veteran experience that you can definitely count on. Sign up five pitchers that are gonna take the ball every fifth day. Obviously there's risk with every pitcher. Um if I had to pick one of the two, I'm going with Whitlock. I probably have irrational expectations of Garrett Whitlock, but everything that I saw this year, I totally get why they protected him coming off of Tommy John, plus being a rookie. They did a really good job of early in the season pitching him only on two days rest, and then one day's rest, and then you know only once or twice the whole year do they use him on back-to-back days. So I think they did a great job with that, and I want to see a guy like Whitlock pitch as many innings as possible. In in that I want to see him in the starting rotation. I want him to get 150 innings next year and 170 the year after that. And um, I just everything that I saw him adding a third pitch and his ability to pitch with runners on base, both out of the windup and the stretch. I think he's really comfortable pitching out of the windup as any starting pitcher should. And I would I without question want to see Whitlock there. Hauk I could see him in a similar role next year um, where he kind of almost has the Whitlock role where he could go two or three innings and then take a couple of days off and then be your sixth starter that you could move to your fifth starter if there was an injury.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you on uh, Whitlock being in the rotation and Houck. Uh I, I'm not as sold on Hauk as the starting pitcher. I, I think Hauk can... In the role he was in towards the end of the year is absolutely deadly and is going to win you a lot of games if he's in that role. And I also agree that I think it's too risky to have both of them in the starting rotation. Um, but Whitlock, I mean, should we start talking about how many Cy Youngs this guy's going to win? I mean, the, the fact that he has the fastball that he has, the slider and the changeup that he learned, I mean, it is just a pure starter's repertoire. And the fact that he's got such poise and command and – uh, man, I'm I'm very interested in uh, Whitlock as a starter. Yeah, I don't want to like just throw
0: ridiculous, lofty expectations out there. But the whole year, when you look, you know, whatever minimum you threw out there, when you had forty, fifty, sixty innings, and it was like Jacob Degrom and then Garrett Whitlock in <laughs> ERA and multiple other metrics that you were looking at, and just his. You know, I know that he gets great extension so that a 98-mile-an-hour fastball looks like it's 100, right? And just swing and miss, low barrel rates, um, does not walk too many hitters. I know that there was kind of some mention of left-handed hitters getting a a better look at him at part of the season, but then it seemed like that leveled off a little bit later in the season and also pitched... In their biggest outs in the season um, in that Rays series, right? They trusted him to get out of jams, runners on third, come in with runners on base. I mean, he was so poised. You, you know, check his pulse when he got to the dugout. So he just checks every box for me. Um, you know, we're throwing DeGrom and Cy Youngs out there. We're probably getting ahead <laughs> of ourselves. But I looked at him as a potential three or four starter, and now I look at him as a potential ceiling of an ace which yeah. maybe I'm being a, a fanboy a little bit, but um, just an absolute gift from the Yankees.
2: Yeah, at, at least a solid two or a three, I think sure. uh, if, if Ace doesn't work out for him. Um, and And a man with exquisite taste too, since his his hero uh, is is one of my favorite pitchers, Rick Porcello. I really enjoyed <laughs> that article uh, on the athletics, so I urge anybody uh, that hasn't read the. Garrett Whitlock uh, obsession piece uh, with Rick Porcello to go check that out and I hope he switches to number 22 next year on the suggestion yeah. of Rick Porcello that would make me very happy. Same with Hulk. we gotta get the, both of these guys some normal numbers
0: next year um, <laughs> you know Hulk mixed his change up in more later in the season and he seemed like such a two pitch fastball slider um, making him perfect for that swing roll, but his change up Had some flashes, so if he can work on that and make it a reliable third pitch, maybe not to start the year next year, but maybe two years from now, he can he can prove himself throughout next season as a three pitch pitcher
2: as well. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. The stuff is nasty, and and like we said with Whitlock, I mean, Houck's one of those guys that went out there on the hill and just had no pulse. Right, Uh, it didn't matter who he was facing, Uh, he did not get intimidated one bit. Uh, he, he's got one of the best mean faces on the mound of anybody. Chewing the gum, full sleeve, uh, you know, I I don't know. He looks pretty intimidating out there, I will admit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a guy who looks a little bit friendlier on the field, though, is our next topic here. Bobby Dahlbeck, uh, first baseman uh, for the team, came on huge in the second half of the year, really uh, was was a completely different guy, and you know, he, he made me not look as dumb for my prediction of 36 bombs for him this year, <laughs> end of the year with 25. Uh, but but my question is, did he do enough uh, for his value in the second half to be a trade candidate here with uh, Tristan Casas seemingly going to be in the mix to be ready by mid-year next year? And especially with, you know, the, the little bit of a crowd going on with potential with J.D. Martinez and what you want to do with Kyle Schwarber. Is he somebody that they would explore uh, moving?
0: I think it will be explored. I think that is a take that a lot of people have in that, you know, that's the easy one to move. But for me, I'm not doing that yet, maybe a year from now. Um, I don't want to fall back on somebody that as as high expectations as we have with Cassis uh, is going to be up mid-season you know I want to hand that over to Cassis in 2023 and I think if you're playing for next year and that's where you know yeah the window started a year early but you know all eyes have been towards the 22 season you don't want to go in with trading Dahlbeck um, and are you gonna go full-time Kyle Schwarber at first base I don't know I think that his defense improved I think that the second half of the year you know you cannot look at Dahlbeck's stats uh, on a full season, two ninety-eight OBP. Uh, you can't just look at that. You have to look at the the August and September numbers, where he hit three thirty-nine in August with seven home runs and cut his strikeout rate in half. And then in September, October hit you know back down to two forty-seven, but seven more home runs. Uh, his barrel rates are just insane. Uh, if you just look at how hard he hits the ball, he has a, a sneaky good sprint speed. So you know. You know, might be able to mix in a few steals or at least be a solid base runner. I thought he got better at first base. So for me, I've become a Dahlbeck guy. I know the limitations. I know that, uh, you know, if he's facing a right-handed pitcher that throws 96, right, I think he hit under 100 against pitchers like that. So you can't just give him a full-time role. You might need to have a left-handed bat to platoon with him. You know, Mitch Moreland keeps coming up in my head. You know, if you don't have a Schwarber come back, whether it's him or someone like him, yeah. um, you know, a left-handed bat that you can sub in if they have a hard-throwing righty late in the game. But um, I, I want to see Dahlbeck on this team next year, and I don't think that your mid to high thirties prediction is totally um, unrealistic if he kind of starts to put things together the way that he looked in the second half of the season. It's so easy to think of him not playing in the playoffs and that he might be on the outskirts, but I think that that was just, uh, he was the odd guy out with the number of of power bats that they had at that time.
2: Yeah, and and I also think that it's going to take quite a bit to pry him from the Red Sox at this point, too. It's not a guy who I would be willing to sell low on uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. I mean, the power potential and the improvements we saw, um, I'm not gonna hesitate to trade him if some team comes correct with just a godfather offer for for bobby dahlbeck they fall in love with him more than you do i think that first base is is a place you could patch up with like a yoshi Tsutsugo or you know travis shaw combination or whatever you want to do uh until casas comes up because ultimately i believe casas is the guy there um but I'm also not going to leave myself unnecessarily thin to just get out from under Bobby Dahlbeck because I think that you you you're absolutely right Bob I I think by this time next year you could uh, have a much more valuable guy in in Bobby Dahlbeck if he continues to make these strides yep All right, next category for us, we're going to get to some pre-ARB players who have not made their Major League debut but are on the 40-man. And uh, the question with these guys is just as simple. Would you keep them on the 40-man or not? Uh, Let's run down the list. Ronaldo Hernandez, uh, Hudson Potts, Jason Rosario, Jay Groom, and Brian Mata. Keeping all these guys? Getting rid of any? I would certainly keep
0: Hernandez, Groom, and Mata. Uh, Mata's tough with the injury, so it's hard to evaluate. And I know that he's a little bit older now. Um, Groom, first half of the season, he seems very polarizing, depending on, on who you talk to. But I thought that he handled his promotion, I believe, to Portland late in the season very well. Um, and really exceeded any of his I think all of the other seasons combined, he threw more innings than that this year. And I think that late in the season, he ramped up the strikeouts. Even if he's not a starter long term, I think you have a good lefty bullpen arm and Groom, and I, I just wouldn't let him get away. You've invested too much. You picked him in the first round. I, I can't give. A, I can't just drop him off the forty man yet. Um, Hernandez, the catcher, really came on in the second half of the year, uh, hitting for power. And as you mentioned, you know, with the uncertainty at catcher. Uh, You know, you really hope that that a Wong or Hernandez next year can step up and be a possibility of somebody that you could uh, make a long-term catcher. So the other two, Potts and Rosario, I think Potts is a cut. He has not hit since 2018 at any level. He hit 154 at AA that year, hit 227 in 2019, and then he hit 217 this year. He mixes in a little power. He's got versatility, but I just his strikeout rates are, was 32% this year. It's just I think that, um, you know, it was worth a shot, but he's kind of fallen a little bit, and I think that they're going to be in a roster crunch on the 40 a little bit with who they need to add. And then uh, Jason Rosario is another one that I just think is on the fringe. I think if they – they, um, I think he's a really good defensive player. I wouldn't give up on him just yet, but he could be – a cut if they, you know, need one spot at the end there. He had 232 this year, uh, but just three homers had 11 steals. So he's got speed, he's got defense, but I don't know what his ceiling is. He might just be kind of like a fourth outfielder type. I don't know if he'll be a whole lot better than that, but I would like to see him hang on if they can.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't hesitate moving Potts or Rosario either off the 40-man or uh, trading either of those guys if you can get anything for them or include them as a throw in um, with with Hernandez Groom and Mata though I'm, I'm right with you uh, I think you need to keep all three of those guys on here so sticking with the prospect thing here looking towards 2022 um, do we see any Red Sox prospects contributing to the big league team in 2022 so I would start and like we said earlier I think
0: Cassis especially just has continued to to rake out in Arizona and I think he's on track for for midseason next year I'm sure some people will be calling for him to make the opening day roster if he has a great spring um I think they'll probably give him a, he had a, a taste of AAA. I think that he'll get a little bit more at least a month or two down there you know we saw that they they waited and waited on Duran this year and then you see him come up and struggle and that's the reason that you you wait you need to master all of these different levels as much as you want to see somebody come up based off of highlights that you see off of some uh you know cast off that's throwing 88 down at triple a or something and gets up in the jet stream in Worcester so it it's easy to get ahead of yourself with that but I think that uh, you know, we'll see Duran back. I, I do believe that. I think that he should be on the team most of next year and hopefully can make the adjustments that that he learned uh, from, you know, any mistakes that he made and find the holes in his swing. He's a super competitive guy, and, you know, got, both of them got Olympic qualifier and Olympic experience. I mean, w- we know the kind of players that they are, especially Cassius and I think Duran to an extent. Two other names that I think we could see, Connor Seabold. I have on my my bullpen for next year and maybe 6th 7th starter uh you know I think he's getting up there in age a little bit for for a prospect I don't have it in front of me but I think he's a little bit older and I think that, that next year should be the his first shot in the big leagues and then Connor Wong um you know, I don't know that he would be opening day roster, but I think that we'll see him. He has a little bit of versatility even beyond catcher. And I know that Nate Valdi was very comfortable throwing him this year in the uh, couple of starts that Wong was up with the team. So those are the four names that come to mind.
2: Yeah, I'll add a few names uh, to that mix as well. I think you you may, might see the debut of a couple of relievers, Durbin Feltman and Caleb Ort, Ort who uh, was also taken from the Yankees in Rule 5. Um, and, and on the starting pitching side, it wouldn't completely shock me if we saw any of this group of Josh Winkowski, uh, Cutter Crawford, or uh, Brian Bayo uh, at the major league level, Bayo being the most interesting uh, of those guys. Crawford, I'm still very skeptical on whether or not his stuff can play at the major league level, um, but you know, a guy who, who has performed pretty well. Um, and, and a little bit surprising since he's come back from Tommy John surgery. So, a couple other names to, to keep on your radar. Uh, yeah. Any of those names pique your interest?
0: I think Winkowski is a, a good call. I, I think you could see him up for a spot start or two. Uh, pitch, you know, his stats don't totally jump off the page uh, at Portland, but he got the a late look in, in Worcester. Um, love Bayo. I was thinking that he might be the year after um yeah but you know i wouldn't rule it if he pitches the way that he did this year and continues to to climb up in the system there and gets to worcester i wouldn't rule anything out uh yeah i think what you said about crawford is fair too you know i don't know what his ceiling is but he's a depth starter and they gave him a chance this year i think that he's maybe in the Dominican or he's somewhere that's gonna be pitching in the off season. So they wanna give him extended innings uh, and get additional looks as I know that he had had Tommy John surgery uh previous to that the previous season. So yeah, I think I think we'll see Crawford, although I just don't know what his upside is and I think Winkowski's a good call that, that he can make an appearance or two.
2: Yeah. All interesting guys. Yep. Um so my last big question here before we get to our projected off season roster is actually dovetails into my projected uh, offseason additions. I have for my last big question here, who will close games for the Red Sox in 2022? Uh, a fair question, since Barnes just looked catastrophically bad uh, in the second half of the season. Uh, so I'm just going to get right into my projected offseason additions to this team. Uh, and I'm going to start with my relievers. I think the Red Sox are going to go out and sign two big relievers. Corey Knebel of the Dodgers, I think he's going to end up closing games for this team next year. I think they also sign uh, the Houston Astros, Kendall Graveman, who's going to be a free agent. Uh, And then I have them signing Alex Cobb as a starting pitcher uh, to fill one of those spots and uh, bringing back Jose Iglesias and Christian Vasquez. So uh, not exactly a huge offseason, but the Red Sox really going out there in uh, spending money on the pitching side of things, getting two really good relievers and a solid starter. I think a lot of people probably don't think about Alex Cobb when they think about solid starter. Um, but this is a guy who came up with the Rays organization uh, pitch there from age 23 to uh, age 29 uh, and had a really good year with the uh, LA Angels last year. He had a struck out you know almost 10 guys per nine, um, had a very low walk rate. Had a 3.76 ERA over the course of a year. Uh, had his best season, arguably, of his career. Um, so I, I actually think Cobb is a really underrated pitcher. He's had some health issues, but a really quality righty who I think could stabilize that organization. He's 34. I don't expect him to get a huge deal, but you know, not, not exactly the, the splash that Max Scherzer is, but definitely an interesting guy.
0: Yeah, and and Cobb definitely in the mix. There's a couple other starters that are kind of in that tier that I'm going to mention. But, you know, Cobb definitely a veteran, reliable pitcher who has been pretty decent and has some great secondary pitches. Um, I'm shooting a little bit higher, Jake, and maybe this (laughs) is just, you know, my eyes getting a little too big here. But I'm looking at payroll this year and of course we have that ungodly 16 million of David Price's salary that's still on there and things will look a lot better the year after but seeing you know Petroya coming off for 12 and Benintendi for three and a couple of others that for less that are coming off um you know their payroll amount right now is about I think 185 is what Sportrac has but they have injuries on there so I think it's about 182 and as opt-outs happen, I think you know, Schwarber for 11 brings you down to 171 and Richards for 10 brings you to 161 and Perez for 7 is at 154 and if JD opts out or if they trade him, which is actually the route that I'm going to go, I'm going to say that I think that JD opts in and that they trade him and then you're down to 134. And you know the luxury tax was 210 this year. And they did not surpass that the past couple of years. And I feel like they weren't going to do that with the uh, looking forward to 2022. I hope that they will go past that threshold. But I also think that there are ways to make at least one significant splash and get close to 210, uh, you know, even with an extension or two. So the kind of the two names that I had in mind were either um, Max Scherzer or Marcus Semien. Those are the two names that I keep coming back to even if that is a 25 million type deal for Semyon per year um, or Scherzer who could potentially be 30 or 35 on a shorter term contract maybe two years or three years as he's 38 years old I think that they can do that and bring back Kyle Schwarber for 15 to 20 million Uh, so those are kind of like two names that that stick out for me you know if you go top of the starting pitcher market in a Max Scherzer type of offer, then you're going to have to go cheaper at second base. A name that comes to mind at second base for me was Chris Taylor, who just is so similar to Enrique Hernandez in many ways that he plays the same positions. He kind of replaced Hernandez's role in Los Angeles, um, playing a little second base, a little shortstop, a little bit of outfield, and just a really clutch hitter who... It's just kind of sneaky. He doesn't get every day at bats always, but I think that he could be a similar player. And who knows, maybe Hernandez will put a good word in for his ex teammate uh, to come out to Boston as a free agent. So those are the names that I had. You know, I think that re-signing Schwarber should be a priority, and I think that making one big splash, Semyon, Scherzer, I think Semian's a better defensive second baseman. Whereas Trevor Story, another name that is on my radar as well, doesn't grade out as well defensively, although who knows how Coors Field affects that, and he's a shortstop that would need to move over to second base, and, you know, is someone going to pay him as a shortstop? So I'm not sure whether Story fits in or not. Um, I don't know. Before I get into the relievers, am I shooting
2: way too high? Is this unreasonable? I mean, I love it. Um, (laughs) Max Scherzer's been a guy who I've had eyes for for Uh, A long time. And and I've been eyeing this year as he's finally going to come to the Red Sox and it's going to make my dreams come true. Um, But the the truth of the matter is Max seems like a West Coast guy. At least it seems like that's his preference is to stay out there. And, you know, I have to think that if he wants to stay out there, he's probably going to make that happen. Uh, That being said, I like your offseason a hell of a lot more than mine. Uh, with the idea of adding, you know, two Dodgers, uh, Scherzer and Taylor, uh, I would love that. That would actually be my preference. Uh, you know, the way you have it with your optimal offseason kind of being Scherzer, Schwarber, Taylor. Uh, I think that would be a dream offseason. You stick Taylor at second base, you let Kike play third, or I mean, uh, Kike play the outfield, um, and you know, Scherzer. It, that just transforms your staff. Uh, thinking about. Scherzer and Sale at the top of a rotation with Eovaldi as your three is just, I mean, that vaults them into uh, the very, very top tier of, of all of the teams in baseball for me. I like my pen better than yours, um, but no question, I'd prefer your team.
0: Yeah, and... So if you, this is all contingent on a JD opt-out or a trade, which brings you down to 135. Yeah. And that's that includes all of your arbitration estimates that are already mixed into that. I think that those three guys could be 60, 65 million at most kind of combined. And that's if you go the Scherzer route. If it's semi and is your splash, it might be closer to 55. And that gets you in the 190 to 200 range. And I, we don't know what the luxury tax is going to be with the, Unfortunate uh, possible lockout that's coming up, right? But I would like to see them get close, get over 200. I think that they can make multiple signings to do that. I think this is the year that they've had circled. I don't think that they're going to be reckless. I don't want to see um, John Lackey or David Price type of years um, or offers or giving. And that's why I think that a shorter term deal with Scherzer. And, you know, I, I still have Justin Verlander on my list as well. Or, you know, yep. Anthony He's Descalfani an is kind of some some backup possibilities in that next tier if they choose to spend more on hitting. Um, and then a couple of relievers that I threw out there. Jake Diekman is a left-hander. I would like to get a second reliable left-hander to go with josh taylor deepman's stats were down a little bit in 2021 he was excellent in the short season so i just think you know maybe that's a guy whose whose price comes down a little bit that you could get for three or four million and then the right-hander that i had was was daniel hudson who was a little bit better this year um was part of the Washington Nationals. Um, he was their closer
2: that year, so he's got nasty in 2019.
0: Yeah, and and that's what you're going to see in the free agent market. You're going to see 33 to 35 year old pitchers that have been on a few different teams, and you never know who you might catch lightning in a bottle with. And those guys have closing experiences, um, experience. And yes, about Matt Barnes. And I don't know. I mean, I think you could easily see barnes make some adjustments in the offseason get his arm slot right he may have been overworked early in the season i don't know i mean it's impossible to know what matt barnes we're going to see next year but if you bring in a couple guys with closing experience then knebel's a good call you know, deakman hudson and have people there as backups if it doesn't work out with barnes because they gave him nine million a year so that that starts next year on an extension they're not going to just make him the third or fourth guy without Exhausting all that they can with Barnes going into next year, I don't think.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That investment uh, was a little premature to me, but you know, <laughs> is what it is at this point. Yeah. Um, I do also like the idea before we wrap this up of uh, taking Simeon away from uh, from the Blue Jays. That is
0: really nice. The elephant in the room is that the AL East is going to be phenomenal next year tampa's gonna do what they do toronto's gonna have that the core that they had last year even if they lose semi i feel like they will sign somebody that lineup is crazy and they're all entering their prime together they traded for barrios and they get to finally probably play at home all year next year right Uh, and just miss the playoffs by a game so you throw in tampa and new york and boston and toronto it's just going to be in my mind tougher than ever next year
2: Well, I like the sound of fourth place New York Yankees very much. Yeah, I wouldn't rule that out. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our show, Bob. Uh, It's been a, a solid hour and 20 minutes of talking Red Sox baseball for 2022. Absolutely had a pleasure doing this with you. And, um... You know, we look forward to seeing how wrong we are in the off season.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we've been recording for this long. That flew by, but uh no, it's great to and we will be totally wrong. We'll have to meet back in March and go through this list and I'm sure I'll be old for ten. So we'll see what happens.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, uh stick with us for off season coverage here. We will have some combination of us coming to you on a weekly basis here in the off season. And uh, we appreciate you following us all year on the over the monster podcast network. And we'll be with you in the off season. And then again, next season as regularly scheduled. So thanks again. And we'll be uh, back next week.